Well, today is going to be the last session for this year with the book of Revelation. And uh, it didn't go the way I intended it to go because I thought probably we were going to be finishing all the churches today. But last week I really sensed that we need to pause and take it easy and see what the Spirit is telling us as Cairns as well through these churches. So, um, the whole series of Revelation, we're going to be covering, um, to, uh, starting with the beginning of next year as well, but our main focus uh, today would be the church in Sardis. Now, we've got this letter that John has been given to pass on to the churches. And as I was, well, as we were singing Christ the Rock Cornerstone, I immediately thought of again that promise that Christ made to Peter when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, we've dealt with letters and last week we dealt with a harsh letter. This week is going to be again harsh. And I'm going to ask somebody to read it for us because I still believe that what this scripture says about being blessed, the person who reads it and the person who listens to it, I still believe that there is truth in that. This week, Amelia, our eldest daughter, started pen pal, writing to a friend of hers, and it was very interesting to read the contents of her letter. Quite beating around the bush and doing this and that and that. And I thought, how about if I bring that into the perspective to the letter that John now is having to pass on to the seven churches in Asia. Colin, can we have the next slide? And this was the vision that we had from the beginning. And I, I really need to remind myself that. If we read that Revelations chapter 1, verses 4 to 6, it says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. This is the context which in, in which John is presenting the letters to the churches. Although the content of the letters is quite personal, it's quite harsh and it's quite realistic. So it's not a pen pal situation that now the churches would write back to, to say, oh, but can we negotiate about this point? Or can we talk about this issue? Because I don't think you have sussed it right. No. This is God Almighty who loves His church to the point of sending His Son to die and to be resurrected. To the point of blessing the church with a mandate to go and carry on with the Great Commission 
to continue to bring God's kingdom on earth. And because God loves his church, because Christ is so precious for his church, he has to come from that place to saying, well, church in Thyatira, you've messed around with doctrine. The church in Ephesus, what about your first love? The church in Smyrna, you're going to have tough, but stay faithful to the end. The church in Pergamum, what are you doing with compromise? And we need to realize that although the content of the letters is harsh, is realistic, because actually, as we said, it's not a pen-pal exchange of letters. It's requiring for the churches to get the message and say, whoa, we've messed around. We better do something about this. And that's why it's important that in each letter it is noted that for him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Now, I'd like a volunteer to be blessed and to bless us by reading Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Mark. The angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy he who have overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Let's get a little bit context about Sardis. Sardis was a very wealthy and well-to-do city. Also, it was located in a top of the hill which raised up to 1,500 feet. And from all the three faces of the city, you could not reach out to it. So it was pretty high up. The fourth face which you could reach out was still very difficult. So, there were two things that Sardis was well known for. Was its Acropolis, so the city centre with all those things, and the graveyard. 
And there were two visible things. Now, to bring, thi- to bring things into context is also, because of its situation or where it's, it was located, it was really hard to go and invade it as a city or as a town. It was almost impossible. And if you look at the history, and as I've been consulting with commentators, is that Sardis in its own historic till that point, was invaded only twice. And that was more of a mistake rather than a a total defeat, you know. The first thing that happened was that, um, actually, I've written it down here, actually, there was, uh, Persia was trying to invade Turkey in those terms, and uh, they were trying to get a hold of the city, and they couldn't get it. The way the history has kind of noted down this is that one night, by mistake, a Sardis soldier dropped off his helmet and went down to pick it up. And by that time, he was seen by a Persian soldier and he showed the route how to invade. And because this was the case, Sardis was not invaded during the day, but it was invaded when the whole city was asleep in the night. And they grabbed the hold of the city and they totally got it. Because again, from the building relief, it was almost impossible to break through unless you knew the route. So let's bring that a little bit in the context to what God Almighty is saying through Jesus to the angel to John for the church in Sardis. One thing that is very, very interesting that doesn't come across in other churches is that the church in Sardis is not facing any persecution. You read the six verses, there is nothing there about persecution. There's also nothing there about the false teaching that Thyatira had to deal with last time. But something is very important for Jesus to pass on to John so Sardis know. And it's something that has to do with reputation, with popularity. And John uses this interesting oxymoron you guys are the living dead church. How can you be a living dead church? Well, he says, you've got, let's go to the verses. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Uh, seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive but you are dead. Wake up. Now, yes, well, last time we dealt with Thyatira and we thought, well, if you were a church in Thyatira and you got this letter passed on to you, let's, you know, let's face it, if, if this kind of letter was presented to us on a Sunday service and saying, church at Cairns Roads, this is the reputation What do we do with that? How do we deal with that? 
But Jesus wants for them to take a few practical steps. Because they're messing around with kingdom stuff, really. The question I had all this week is, what are the things that make a church die? It's very clear here that one of the things is that it says, you've got a reputation. You've got a reputation for being alive. You've got a reputation for being active. You've got a reputation for being up out there. And yet, you really misled by that reputation. You're unaware of other things. I think one of the things that church in Sardis was struggling with was nostalgia. And I think one of the biggest enemies of the church of God, whether you're in the East or whether you're in the West, whether you're in Albania, whether you're in in Bristol, it doesn't matter. We always have got the tendency to say, but in my days, you don't know how good it was here 20 years ago when we had such and such. And I think it's nothing wrong with us having a very good relationship with history because we want to learn from it. We want to to not repeat the mistakes of the previous generations because we want to celebrate that God has been at work here in this church even for 300 years. These are all fantastic things. But the danger is that we get so much embraced by nostalgia that it keeps us from moving on. How does a church die? A church dies by living today with the fame of the past with the success of the past, with God's work of the past. And one of the reasons why we die in that way is because we become complacent. complacent. And we are very happy with the way you are thinking, you know. You go and talk to people about our church and they say, oh, Cairns Road is a good church. Yes, but I want to hear more than that. I just want to hear more than reputation. I want to hear about life. And not because I want to hear, but this is what it's in God's heart, that God is more interested in life rather than reputation. So, what does it mean then to be alive? We looked at what does it being dead look like? What does it mean to be alive? Oh, sorry. Colin, can you take us to the next one, please? And the next one. And the next one. 
And next one. These are the current symptoms of the church. What does it mean to be alive then? I think Jesus is being very patient with Sardis and has given them five things that they can look to and they could measure up with. Look at the passage from verses 2 to verses 3. Well, verses 2 and 3. It's given them five things to do in order for them to check how do they maintain this being alive. It says, verse 2, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, obey it and repent. Now, Sardis has got this reputation of being, well, alive, but Jesus is saying, you're dead. And he says, wake up. You still have got this, some life in you, and therefore what you need to do with that, you need to strengthen what you've got. Otherwise, if you don't strengthen it, it's going to die. It's a little bit like the pruning, isn't it? It's a little bit but like getting rid of all those branches that are unnecessary in order to provide life and to give continuity of life to the rest of the vine. Strengthen, strengthen what remains. The other thing that I've just mentioned there is that they've got this sense of unawareness that actually they're completely oblivious about it. And the other thing, the sad thing, is that they kind of drift because God is saying, I tie, well, I happen to find your deeds unfinished. So you start up with something, you start up with something, and then it doesn't, doesn't finish. It doesn't finish. And then the other thing is, is asleep. So he says, wake up, wake up. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. And that's why it was important for me to read the beginning of the letter. Because the person who is writing the letter to Sardis is the very person of God Almighty. The one who's died for his church. The one who's loved them. The one who cares for them. The one who really wants to make a difference and bring that transformation. Remember. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Why do we need to have this ministry of remembering. Because as people, we've got a tendency to forget. And we forget. And we take things for granted. 
and we become complacent, complacing. And the last thing, the last step is repent. Turn back to God. Turn back to Jesus. Turn back to come to that place of saying, I've messed around God. I want a fresh start. Please help me. I'm not going to do the actions today. But here's a church that we can identify with. Because I think we can all fall into the trap of nostalgia. Because we are so busy, and because our life is busy Monday through Saturday, we can simply become unaware with our Sunday gathering of things that are happening here, of God's work in our midst, of what is going on really in our lives. And I think a problem that we, that I struggle with and I worry with is that I get excited about stuff. It kicks off and then all of a sudden I find myself drifting. And I don't know what causes this, but I speak to other fellow ministers and there is this kind of thing going across, especially the churches in the UK, about drifting. And I think one of the things that causes us to drift is that actually we do too much or we want to do too many things. We're not concentrated on the things that God has given us as a church. So, let's be honest. We have got a good reputation in the city. We've got a good cafe. We've got a good preschool. We've got good children's work. We've got good youth work and discipleship group. We've got some good reputation here. Now, I want to throw something in that I'm really struggling with. What is our prayer life as a gathered community of church? I'll throw that in. I will throw something else. Discipleship groups, bands. Do we come into that season of having discipleship groups, having the bands, and drifting? I know that for some of us, the bands and discipleship groups are really working very well. But I just want to throw that, because we really believe that God has called us as Cairns Road to focus on three areas. Family, mission, and discipleship. What does that look for us? How does that translate how are we going to celebrate God in our community through these three areas? How are we going to radiate His love? Remember those letters that I shared with you two years ago. How are we going to build through prayer and word? And how are we going to continue with the Great Commission? This is stuff that God has called us. And it's very easy, and I want to say that none of us is exempt 
from any of those four things? I've got three questions. Next one, please, Colin. Because before we take communion, I'd really like for us to, to pray a little bit for Cairns. But I've got three questions here in the light of this passage because I believe that there is something that we can take from this as a church and saying, yes, we're going to embrace that. So what does it mean for us to be alive? Have we got any unfinished jobs in the sight of the Lord? And what is your prayer for Cairns in the light of the warnings that are made to Sardis? What does it mean for us to be alive, church? How can we journey with one another? Because sometimes it's really hard to be on your own. How do we provide that time? How do we provide that energy, that effort, that we say, actually, if we're going to say in the covenant service this, that we are in this all together, we're going to mean it. Because we want to be alive. If we're going to say that we're going to be focusing on bands, let's Let's sense that, that that is what God is calling us. Let's do it well. And let's finish it well. Let's maintain it well. <clears throat> and is there a prayer that you've got for Cairns? I think we're going to have a time of prayer now, but I want to start us off because I read a prayer on Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. And maybe of you who know the Scriptures or memorize Scriptures know what this verse is about. Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. David prays, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me into the way everlasting. 